Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I am not your normal host. My name is Matthew Kuhn. I'm joined by my brother, Michael. Hey, everybody. And we are down a member tonight. Uh, Mark, our normal host, is not with us. He has some sort of boyfriend duties. He's His girlfriend has some performance, and he's being a good boyfriend. I suppose we should support him in that. Yeah, he's he like actually has a life. He actually has like job during the day. He's not as responsive as he used to be. And then in the evening, he has activities to handle with his uh, girlfriend. So uh, I guess as the two married members of the of the three brothers, we probably shouldn't argue or complain too much. He's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, I I have to say I kind of like the college student slash homeless person version of Mark better because I could just get him to do all the dirty work for all this because he had nothing but time on his hands. Absolutely. So the show must go on. We'll we'll miss him tonight. We'll take the opportunity to make fun of him a few times, I'm sure, because he can't respond. But we got to move on. And move on we will to the Cleveland Browns versus the San Diego. San Diego Chargers, not the San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers in the week 13 matchup, week 12 matchup. Oh, I'm all wow. You're really good at hosting, Matthew. Man, this is why Mark does this. This is terrible. (laughs) The week 12 matchup where the Browns once again fall short 10 to 19. Hey, let's look at the positives. Uh, The Browns actually covered in this game. I know, which means that I'm getting ever closer to Mark there. I think Mark had a terrible week, but we'll get to that at the end of the pod. Michael, I know you watched the game. Um, I know you watched the first half of the game on your phone traveling back from Disney World. So what were your takes? Uh, I think my overarching frustration was just with the coaching staff in this game. I think leading into the game, I was concerned about how much Josh Gordon talk I was hearing. And I was optimistic heading into it that it was all just a veil, that they weren't going to force feed Josh Gordon like they did when he returned against Atlanta a few seasons ago. And that all proved to be wishful thinking because I felt like we were just force feeding the ball to Josh Gordon. I don't know how much of that's on Kaiser for just wanting to look that way and how much of that is on Hugh Jackson for designing it that way. But he kind of set up with all this talk this week to take the blame himself. I believe Gordon had 11 targets and ended up with only four receptions. And I think it did have some positive effects. I think David Njoku had the best game that he's had as a Cleveland Brown, which is probably a direct result of Josh Gordon taking away a little bit of attention. I mean, up until this point, Njoku has been the only legitimate like receiving threat with any size for any team to account for downfield. And now that Gordon's on the field, that's no longer the case. And so we saw a lot from Njoku. But on the flip side, Corey Coleman had one target, I think, in this game. Maybe two. I might have missed the second one. But either way, I don't think he had a catch. And to me, that guy's too talented to not even be getting any looks. And so um, that was my biggest frustration. As great as Gordon looked and as awesome as it was to see him catching a ball and just, like, stiff-arming people 10 yards down the field, I... Um, I was just frustrated that we didn't max. I felt like we, it wasn't the maximum version of our offense. Cause we were just kind of like forcing stuff all day. Yeah. And it's tough to know. I mean, we did one of Corey Coleman's targets was a screen pass reception on the first drive that got called back for a illegal formation. Um, so I think right. maybe we were 
trying to keep it balanced and get him organized. And then I think a lot of the reason why it felt like we were trying to force it to Gordon was because he was open a fair number of times and Kaiser just missed him. Like he's terrible. He either overthrew him on the deep oh ball God. twice. There was that one where he, he led him to the outside. It was a funky formation in the third quarter, like nine minutes ago. He led him to the outside instead of leading him towards the numbers where it was wide open field. Like, if Josh Gordon came out of this game with eight receptions on 11 targets, it, it wouldn't feel like we were trying to force it to him. And he very easily could have had four more receptions if, if yep. balls were thrown better. Uh, yeah, there were a couple of touchdowns left on the field, as every Browns fan on Twitter has pointed out in the last 24 hours. Yes, yes. Some some very, very easy, easy touchdowns. Um, I thought Gordon, I mean, Josh Gordon's a freak, man. Like he's playing a different game. It looks like it's like what you see when you see the elite other players teams, play. Like any, yeah, it's any like other what, team play football. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you watch Antonio Brown. It's like man, he just like looks like a different species out there, like playing the game. He operates at a different level. I mean, just to see him catch the ball, even on that first um, slant that passed on the very first play of the game just like how back yeah he snatched the ball and just kept running like seamlessly no big deal yeah it was unbelievable and then um the play right before his good catch down the sideline where he went up over over the guy it was a a, um like a slant like a quick crossing route or something um and the way that the safety tried to meet him and come up and cut him off and Josh Gordon was already across his face, like by the time the guy got there. Like he just plays this game at a different speed than everybody else. Like in his his speed and his like body control ability just don't give anybody else a chance. Yeah. But I mean, to think about the future and know that we have more of Josh Gordon, assuming he stays clean, Corey Coleman and David Njoku as options. Assuming David Njoku gets better as a pass blocker, like that is and Duke Johnson thrown in there. If we get another like more legitimate like first and second down back, like it's a the makings of a pretty solid offense if you just can get some decent and really just consistent quarterback play. I mean, what we're seeing from Kaiser right now is just so up and down. Like you see him great a great game last week and arguably his worst game this week. Yeah, and you saw what happens with those four weapons on some of those plays where we actually threw it to Seth DeValve. On that, um, I think it was the second drive where DeValve, it was like third and four, and DeValve kind of did an out um, towards the bottom of the screen for a first down. But it was Gordon, Coleman, Njoku, and um, Duke, and then all running routes, and then DeValve just kind of squirting out. Nobody's paying attention oh, to the white you. guy. Thank you. I'll take like, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would leave him wide open every time because I'm terrified of what the other four can do to me. Um, yep. And that just opens up the offense so much. You take any half-decent, competent quarterback and put him in that sis- in a system with those weapons, and they're, they're going to succeed. So that's got to give us hope for the future. Yeah. So I, I know last week we contemplated, like, what would it take from Kaiser for us to not have to look at a quarterback in the draft? He already screwed the answer- pooch. He already screwed yeah, the pooch. We- yeah, the scenarios we laid out were all uh, dwarfed this week by Kaiser's play. I think there's no doubt that that has to be an option. Not that we're moving on and that he can't win the job and can't have a phenomenal offseason and come in and, like, you know, play more for the Browns going into next year. But there's no way the Browns can hinge any sort of hopes on him, I don't think. 
Yeah, and in his defense, I felt like our game plan was built around getting the ball out quickly, like single reads, not taking the time to like go through a progression. I think that's why that's he he looked at Josh Gordon a lot and like stayed there on like one half of the field. Um, and it's probably because of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram going up against our tackles. Yeah, like, no, like I agree. If we held on the ball for any length of time, like you were just going to get toasted. So yep. the San Diego Chargers defense – or L.A. Chargers, sorry. Defense is <laughs> really, really good, um, especially across their defensive front and their defensive ends. So it, it was a tough game, but you would like to see a little more competency, at least – hitting open receivers when they're there. Yep, I agree. I mean, his he had a below 50% completion percentage. Which, you is, can't, which is terrible. Like You can't do that. Yeah, and the, these weren't super difficult throws that he was being asked to make most of the time. I mean, and you saw some of, like, there was one that he was putting in the dirt, like, to yeah, Josh Gordon Even and some Brett. of his completions were terrible throws. Yeah, like – he th- would throw it out and Coleman would have to jump or Britt would have to jump to catch the ball and we would lose the, all the momentum on the route. And yeah, there were some at his feet, at the receiver's feet. I mean, they were yeah. just all over the place. Yeah, he was it, was the, it was the most inaccurate he's been in a while, I would say, for sure. And no. then it's just it gets frustrating when he starts pressing at the end of the game. You know, it, you hate to see that play where he doesn't have the awareness of Bosa on his back and he fumbles the ball. That's one thing. And then he comes right back, throws the beautiful pass to Njoku to get us down there. And then he forces a ball on the very next play into literally triple coverage. Yeah, I have no earthly idea what any human being could be thinking that that was a good idea to toss the ball in there. I don't know what he was trying to do. It was not. So with all the negative that we're talking about, Kaiser, like the Browns were in a position to like compete and have a chance to win this game for a lot of it. Even even before that Bosa fumble, we were down by nine with five minutes to yep. go, two timeouts. We are about to score. It was second and goal from the two-yard line, or would have mm-hmm. been after that Duke Johnson run that got called yep. back for a Corey Coleman holding penalty. Um, if we even get a field goal there, it's a one-point game with five minutes to go and two timeouts. Yep. You're, no, absolutely. You're right there at the end of the game. You're there to win. We just – Need to you know it what, together. though, what was so frustrating to me in this game is I don't th- think the numbers entirely did it justice. Our defense was on the field for this entire game. We could not stop the Chargers' offense. And it was mind-numbing to me how many like third and long and third and medium plays they had and with easy, easy conversions. Like Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry were just catching every single ball out of the slot. Christian Kirksey's five yards off of Antonio Gates on some of these like third and long plays. It makes zero. We're leaving the middle of the field open like we have all season. And it still, I feel like I'm a parrot just repeating things on this podcast because every week I'm complaining about Greg Williams just leaving the field open and easy conversions left and right. I like the intensity of Greg Williams, I like the mindset that he brings to our defense. I hate the scheme that he's running. Hate it. I I don't see how we win with the scheme that he's running and how seemingly predictable it is. Yeah. Like even when he's dialing up these blitzes, he, we're not getting to the quarterbacks and we're leaving ourselves exposed. 
Yeah, it's hard to justify blitzing on like second and nineteen, because yeah, the risk the risk reward like doesn't work in your favor. Best no. case scenario, I mean, best case scenario is you get a a turnover of some kind, but like realistic best case scenario is you you force a quick throw incomplete or you get a sack. And guess what? Now it's third and nineteen or something else. Like that's great, but if you could get them just into third and twelve that would be functionally just as good and you mitigate the risk of getting torched on the back end. Keenan yep. Allen and Hunter Henry are built to attack at Greg Williams' defense. <laughs> like, you could not and have did. two players, plus Phillip Rivers, who's just so stupid accurate, especially when he's under pressure. He just flicks that ball out there and he knows right where his receiver's going to be. Like, those three players destroyed us, and if they played Greg Williams every week, that team would be 16-0. Like, I don't <laughs> care what the offense is on the other side. Those three players are built to attack Greg Williams. And just it was very it. frustrating. I just hated how many times we played well on first and second down and then just gave it up to him on third down. We just could not get off the field on third down. And I'm actually glad you mentioned something about uh, turnovers earlier. Um <laughs> We continue to fail to recover a fumble. I don't know what's wrong with our team, but we seemingly cannot fall on the football. Think about how different this football game is if we recover that fumble at the end of the first half. We strip sack, I think it was Joe Schobert, strip sacks Phillip Rivers, and the yeah. ball is fumbling around. We were in great position to be able Kirk's, to recover it. It was it's in not- Kirksey's hands. It like hit Kirksey's hands as he was getting... Take, I mean, I don't blame him because he was getting like demolished by the offensive oh. lineman, but unbelievable. Like, I think it was in the ten to fifteen yard line range is yeah. where we would have recovered no, was, the ball. It was inside the twenty. So, I when I rewatched the game, I, I watched that play and the plays before it and after it, and thought to myself, the Browns could, could very easily have won this game if we recovered that fumble. Because yeah, what they happens, went down and got a field goal. What happened right after that play? was Travis Benjamin, like a quick out. Jamar Taylor misses the tackle. Travis Benjamin, 35 yards down the field. And now they're in field goal range to kick that field goal. If we recover that fumble and get points before the half, even if it's three, even if we're up 10-6 going into the half, the way that we were playing on offense and we were were moving the ball decently. Like for as much as we're crapping on Kaiser and his inaccuracy and like – the fact that we move the ball down the field like with regularity yeah. like our is amazing. Two, oh, our first two drives, we get down to the 45-yard line. We keep getting to the point where it's like, oh, our offense looks good, yeah. but not good enough where we can actually get points out of this drive. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we kept doing. It's just we kept petering out right after we crossed the 50-yard line. It was terrible. But my point on the, on the fumbles. So if you look across the NFL and season to season – the teams that recover more fumbles, like it's not consistent from one season to the next. Like it's basically a 50-50 proposition. There's no rhyme or reason to teams that recover more fumbles versus teams that don't. It's really just luck. Like the bounce of the ball affects things. There's nothing you can really do to affect it. It's not like there's no certain teams that are out there better at it than others. Yeah, like that are coaching it better. Like if you talk to any analytics person, they will talk about how important the recovery of fumbles is in affecting a team's win-loss record and that you know that it's going to swing, the pendulum will swing from year to year. Well, the pendulum for the Browns has swung as negatively as possible, I would have to imagine. And there were three balls that hit the ground in this week's game, 
and all three of them were recovered by the Chargers. I'm just asking for one of them to be recovered by the Browns. You know, if the Browns recover that Deshaun Kaiser fumble, we're able to kick the field goal and can be in the game. It's a one-score game. Like any of those one, any of those three fumbles that hit the ground, significantly helps the Browns and their chances to win this game. And we didn't get one of them. I mean, it's just so infuriating that those little things that really are just chance aren't even falling in the Browns' favor. So I just looked up the Browns are on this season so far recovering 31.25% of our fumbles, which puts us at 28th in the league. Oh, there's three teams that are worse. Yeah, there's four teams that are worse. Pittsburgh, Miami, Arizona, New Orleans. But to give you to give you a little context for like how statistically unlucky and inept the Browns are, last year we recovered only 25% of our fumbles. But all of the teams that are below the Browns this year, like New Orleans, who's currently ranks last in the NFL with 24% of their fumble recovered. Which is impressive because they have a winning record. It is impressive. But last year they recovered 70% of the fumbles. So, yeah. like, it's so variable, and the Browns, at least for the last two seasons, have been so consistently awful at it. Yep. Just the worst. That's how you get to the top of the draft, ladies and gentlemen. But looking on the bright side, so, I mean, I know we want to talk about this. With this offense that we have, with the pieces in place, assuming Joe Thomas comes back, you put any of the quarterbacks who've been drafted at the top of the draft for the last five years in that spot. Yeah. And that's a really good offense. I would think it's a passable offense. Like, like and, that's a, that's at least even with like a rookie quarterback, that's a, a middle middle of the NFL offense, like a, a 15 to 20 level offense, just without any special quarterback play. And, with the talent we have on defense, assuming we can upgrade some of the secondary, that's suddenly a competitive team. Yeah. Not I mean, mention, we have a lot of pieces to put in place, but we've got a lot of cap room. Excuse me. we got a lot of cap room, and obviously we have the draft capital to make a difference. Not to mention, we might recover more fumbles next year. That's yes. true. We, might. we are likely to recover more fumbles next year is actually yes. the, the truth of the matter. We're, we're likely to recover 50% of our fumbles next year because that's yes. how statistics work. Yes. Likely to recover 50, at least 50%. So, so, um, do we have anything else we really need to say about this football game? No, I don't, I don't like the three o'clock games. Do you, how do you, how did you feel? Or well, you're in central time. Most people in this world live in the Eastern time zone. So that's, three o'clock games means nothing. False. False. There's like 7.5 billion people in this world, and most of them do not live in the Eastern Time Zone. I mean, correct my statement. Most of the people that listen to our podcast uh, live in the Eastern Time Zone. What about our Tokyo listeners, Michael? Um, we're excluding them from this conversation. They do not make up a majority anyways. Majority of our listeners have uh, are now showing up in Ohio, which is uh, yeah, I... in the Eastern Time Zone. It's it's shocking that it took us this long for the majority of our listeners to be in Ohio. Yeah, they're no longer just in our hometown where our friends and family live. Yeah, we're getting the pity listens. Yeah. Um, so, how do you feel about the 4 o'clock games? I don't like them either. I 
texted you. I was literally in church whenever I realized that the game was at four. It was that late. And I was like, wait a second. My plan was to go home to my in-laws house, let my wife and kids do whatever they were going to do with Mimi and pop up. And I was just going to sit in the corner and watch the Browns game on my computer. But I can't do that if it's a late game. And I realized we were playing in the West Coast and I looked it up in the middle of church. That's probably a bad thing to do. And um, realized and I was very disappointed. And thus the result was I had to watch the first half of the game on my phone while I made my wife um, drive. And my three kids were not happy. That's incredible. So I don't know. Did you see that Arizona State hired Herm Edwards? As their head I think coach. it's hilarious. It's, There's no way that's going to end it's well. It's so incredible. Also, they kept all of their assistants. They just replaced like Todd Graham with Herm Edwards, which is incredible. Nice. So they paid a twelve million dollar buyout just to like replace the guy that they head coach, the with Herm CEO. Edwards, Although Herm Edwards, I've heard, is a great speaker, like the most inspirational of inspirational speakers. That's gonna be great until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> But so he's also just so Herm Edwards and in his opening like press conference, I saw a clip today where he was doing like Q and a sessions and Arizona state's obviously the sun devils. Um, yeah. And so one of the reporters like stood up to ask a question and introduced himself and he, he gave like the, the paper or like, news yeah. organization that he's so from. So-and-so from, uh, yeah, yeah from, Arizona, Phoenix, like, whatever. No, but it, this guy was, like, from, like, Devil's Digest or something. Like, it was clearly, like, a Arizona okay. State thing. And Herm Edwards goes, whoa, 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 watch it with that devil stuff. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. You know, you got to be careful with the devil stuff. <laughs> and somebody's like, who's going to tell him that, like, this is literally <laughs> the mascot of your team now? Yeah. Uh, I just sat, I just sat dying laughing. I, I hope that goes on for three years. Like they're uh, not allowed to say the mascot name. He's he's something special. He hasn't coached a team in like ten years. Yeah, it's been ten years, and it was the Chiefs. I think the last team that he coached. That's not going to end well. It'll be an interesting I mean, experiment. Like their their new AD like used to be an an agent in the NFL. He has to recruit. How is he going to recruit players? I have no idea. I, I would assume you just rely on your assistants and then you swoop in at the end to like try to see. Yes, you the played deal, the, but... I coached in the NFL card and I know how to prepare players for the NFL, I guess. I mean that's legit, sure, but it was like ten years ago. He coached last time he coached in the NFL, these kids. I coached were eight. losing teams in the NFL yeah. for a long time. Uh, speaking of bad coaching rumors. Michael, how do you feel about um, Locke and Fora suggesting that Jeff Fisher should come be the next head coach oh, of the Browns? Oh, Lord. I think it's hilarious how, like, his article is about Jeff Fisher preparing to, like, get, land a coaching job. Like, like, this is what the article is about, right? And then he just needlessly about... throws the Browns in there. He needlessly throws the Browns in. He has no, like, knowledge of the Browns, like, reaching out to Jeff Fisher. He just says, oh, the Browns would be a perfect fit for Jeff Fisher. Of course the Browns, because I like to take a crap on them every Sunday morning before their game. I just like to – I mean, they're not having a miserable enough season already. I might as well suggest that the worst possible coach um, is preparing himself and could become the next coach of the Cleveland Browns. And, like, and it was the only team that he mentioned. Like, he didn't mention yeah. a list of potential destinations. He decided, oh, a team like the Browns could be a good fit for Jeff Fisher. 
Yeah. Why not? Why not like some of the other awful teams, like the Tampa Bay Bucks, who should probably fire Dirk Cutter, or the New York Giants, who fired Ben McAdoo today. Right. Or like maybe a team that, or a coach that knows how to develop quarterbacks, unlike Jeff Fisher, who clearly made Je- Jared Goff look like a terrible pick as number one, and then now with Sean McVay at the helm, McVay has turned him into quite a decent quarterback. Yeah. I mean, who's, who's I can't McVay's think of a worse quarterback. Corner quarterback whisperer than jared goff like or, or than uh, jeff fisher, fisher. yeah no Anyways. i mean he has a he has a terrible record doing that and sorry jeff I, I i like you personally i went to school with your children but yes yes not personally I, I just don't want to see jeff fisher as our head coach because i don't i don't think his skill set fits what we need and uh, i wonder if the nfl game has passed him by a little bit, and, so, and it's changed, and he's he's more of a defensive-minded. He should go to USC. He should follow the Herm Edwards model and go. You're right. Head coach. So here's my thinking on this coaching thing. I'm really starting to worry about this because I think I probably mentioned this on the pod um, in the past, but this whole idea of Hugh Jackson being around for longer, I get more and more sour to that idea as the weeks go along. The only thing I can hold my hat hang the hat on is that the team hasn't seemed to quit and I can give him some respect in that aspect that he's kept the attention of the team but everything else that goes into coaching like I don't think that I can say I like Hugh Jackson and that he's clearly a good coach for us in the future and they might want to play well but if they're not prepared to play well it doesn't really matter and I don't think he's necessarily preparing the team to play well, him or Greg Williams. And if we are going to draft a quarterback at number one, we have to have a coach in place that will be there for the long term. The worst thing we could do is have a coach that is on the hot seat and is going to make drastic decisions to keep his job in the rookie quarterback's year one. We need a coach that is going to be able to mold and develop a quarterback long term. If the Haslam's decide that that's Hugh Jackson, they have to stick with him for multiple years. And I'm just scared that we're going to keep Hugh. It's not going to go well next year. Then we're going to fire him, and there's this rookie quarterback that's going to have to learn a whole new deal in year two. And I don't think that's an optimal scenario. Yeah, I was thinking about this after the game yesterday um, because we've talked on the pod about preferring stability and coming into the two years ago, coming into this rebuild and knowing that it's more than a two year process and, yep. and all of that. And right now I, I feel similarly where I want stability, but I'm afraid that if we seek stability in the short term at the head, at least with the coaching staff, then it's going to lead yep. to more instability in the future. And we're kind of at a crossroads where with this first pick, we've got to draft a quarterback. This is the time to make a change. And yep. if it's the biggest decision the Haslam's have to make. For sure. And if the gun if there's a gun to my head and I have to give you reasons for why Hugh Jackson should be the head coach of this team going forward, I can't really come up with many. It's a short like, list. Like you can make excuses for like the the roster and the talent, but like, what has Hugh done outside of that to prove 
that he should be the guy going forward. I mean, Ray Horton was a disaster on defense last year. Yep. Greg Williams comes in, and we're better. We are, and there's there's a, a like we've got more talent, and we're better statistically, and all these things. But I don't think anybody would argue that like this the defense is set and like it is where it is. There's so many troubling aspects to how Greg yep. Williams is running this defense, and I know a few people who are involved in the NFL who who do not think highly of Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator. Um, yeah. For for a lot of the reasons that we talk about, and that it's like a, a simplistic like blitz only scheme that other pe- other teams can toast. So. Um, I don't know that there's much of an argument to keep Hugh Jackson. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to craft that argument other than that. The players like him and the players liking him and not winning football games is not a reason to keep a coach. And you're right. It's the hinge point where they have to decide this off season. It's either like they go full force and stick with the stick with the plan or they pull the plug and they go in a different direction. And I wanted to keep the the whole team intact, but I have not seen enough from Hugh Jackson that he um, has proven to me that he can be a long-term answer to lead a successful team. I, I am just like a pessimistic Browns fan, though, and I worry that what's going to happen is, is we fire Hugh Jackson, and then we can't find a good coach. Like We have to settle for the bottom of the scrap heap in all of the coaches that are available. And we don't end up with somebody good. Now, I would say that we're probably in better position than we've been in a long time from like a talent and a roster standpoint to be an appealing place to come. I mean, think about it. If you're a coach and maybe, you know, like an offensive guy that feels good about your ability to craft a quarterback, to know that you're walking into a scenario with the roster we have and then all of these draft picks and your pick of like the first quarterback, like all of this. Uh, I mean, that's, it doesn't get a lot better. Yeah, no. I mean, you, people say it all the time. There's only 32, like, head coaching jobs in the NFL. And the ones that come open most often are bad teams. Like, yep. the, the frequency with which, like, good teams make a change at head coach because somebody retires or, or whatnot doesn't really happen. So if you're somebody out there with aspirations to coach, be a head coach at the NFL level like you're gonna have to look at a bad situation and try to make the best of it um just hearing you talk about that I was thinking like how great would it be to have Sean McVay oh I know that's what I keep thinking about I can't get it out of my head who's the Sean McVay this year the only other one that I have heard people talk about on a regular basis and I don't know if this is just Browns people but I keep hearing John DeFilippo's name I think he's He's coaching Carson Wentz, um, and obviously he was our offensive coordinator with Manziel, and was not bad whenever he was whenever he was there. Um, I thought Kyle Shanahan was the Manziel. No, he was a quarterbacks coach. I'm sorry, you're absolutely right. He was yeah. the quarterbacks coach, and he was with man, you know, the early Manziel years, um, with Shanahan, and I think a lot of people think highly of him as an offensive as an offensive mind. I think we're destined with the Tennessee connection to. Um, sign up Jim Bob Cooter to be our, to be oh, our new Lord. head coach. Wouldn't that be oh, perfect no. for the Browns to, to sign a guy to be their head coach named Jim Bob? Yeah, that I can't imagine what Browns Nation would do if that happened. That's probably the biggest thing working against that guy to get a head coaching job. It's just the PR disaster that it would be whenever his name is announced as the head coach. 
I mean, what's the better alternative? Could he just go by like Jim Cooter? But like Cooter is still not the last the name. Best still name. Cooter. All right. Yeah. So, should we transition? I I think we want to talk about the draft. I'm I'm already there. I'm I'm at the portion of the season where we're literally just cheering against teams and four teams that would improve the Browns' draft position. And so, since the Browns have pretty much locked up that number one spot, unless like a miracle happens and we win multiple games down the stretch, since the 49ers won that game with Garoppolo this we week, we probably have to win three. Which we would, I mean, that's not happening. That's not happening. Um, it we could win two. We still play Green Bay and Chicago, and our, I think those our are schedules options. really easy the rest of the way, especially when you consider that Pittsburgh is probably not a full strength Pittsburgh because they are going to be resting their starters for the playoffs week 17. It would not shock me if we win two games, but even if we win two games, our chances of having a number one pick are still very good. Um, the giants and the 49ers only have two wins as well. Um, but there's still four games to play. So I, I'm not too worried about it. And it all comes down to the strength of schedule and all that junk. Um, so now what we're looking at is where does that Houston Texans pick fall? They lost again this week, which was enormous. Um, thank you, Tennessee Titans. And so we thought it would be kind of fun to take a look at the Texans and their remaining schedule and see where we think that might fall and then look at the teams that are around them and try to dream up a scenario where the Browns-Texans pick is even better as the season goes along. So we'll start with the Texans and then just kind of tick off teams from there. Sound good? Sounds good. I almost, uh, side note, I almost went to that Titans-Texas game this weekend just to sit behind the Texans bench and just like boo them the whole time and try to do my <laughs> part. Um, it proved to not be of any significant value. Wasn't it at the same time as the Browns game? No, it was before. No, it was the early game, so I, I technically could have done both, but I didn't really want to because the Titans games are terrible. They're not fun to go to, to be perfectly candid. Um, so the Houston Texans play at home against the 49ers. That's a huge game as far as the overall draft position goes because if the Texans win that game – they're going to be five and eight, and that's just going to put them at that next notch. But if the 49ers win, they now have three wins on the season. They're further away from that number one pick. Helps the Browns a ton on both ends. So Browns fans pay attention to Houston and San Francisco this weekend. It's, it's a key component to us maximizing our draft position. They then go to the Jaguars, which is a game I could go to if I wanted to, if I need to yell at the Texans. Yeah, just go boo. Yeah, um, I doubt they win that game. They play at home against the Steelers. Do we think there's any chance that the Texans could beat the Steelers in a Week 16 game? No, here's the thing. The Texans are going to beat a team that doesn't have a very good defense and has a has an okay offense. Like The, the Jags and the Steelers are really tough matchups for the Texans. Yep, I agree. Um because their defense is so phenomenal and Tom Savage is so miserable. Yeah. And so, I mean, they could beat San Francisco and then week 17, which you're about to reveal at Indianapolis, the Colts. like yeah. they, they could win those games. I have no doubt that they're going to lose against Jacksonville and Pittsburgh. Yep. So the two games that are in question are the 49ers this week. And then they travel to Indianapolis to play the Colts in week 17. That very well will have an impact on the overall 
position of that pick. And honestly, the Colts, that could swing everything, that Colts and Texans game in the final week, because Indy is currently sitting at three and nine. And if they get another win, depending on the strength of schedule, that could push them behind the Texans pick if the Texans lose out. So that could be a huge swing game in week 17. Yeah, they could jump it. And in week nine, Indianapolis, it was the kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. It was like two days after Deshaun Watson tore his ACL. Um, but Indianapolis beat the Texans 20 to 14 in Houston. So, yep. I mean, they've done it before and now they'll do it at home. And so hopefully that's a game that Indianapolis can pull out. Do it for Chuck. It's going to be a funny game. It's going to be a funny game because both of those teams aren't going to have anything to play for. They won't have anything to play for. And Chuck Pagano is going to be fired if he's not already gone by the time that game is played. That'll just be a crapshoot. I can only hope that the Texans, having had such high expectations coming into the year, are just demoralized at that point and don't even care. Yep. So optimistically, the Texans lose out and lose all of those games. I think the easiest one for them to win would probably be this 49ers game. So if we can get past that one with a 49ers victory, I feel like I'm going to feel real good um, about where that pick is going to be. Um, but so I say four and eight or four and 12 or, or maybe five and 11 is probably the landing spot for the Texans. If and they, then if they end up at four and 12, I will be so pleased, especially, oh, especially looking back at that trade. And all of the crap that the Browns took for that trade earlier in the season when Deshaun Watson started taking off. If we end up with a, a the first round pick from a four and twelve team, oh my gosh! You, you do that every day of the week. It's a thing of beauty. Not to mention the second round pick on the Brock Osweiler sixteen million dollar. Yeah, I mean it's just which, phenomenal. Which would be amazing. I mean, if yeah. we have two picks at the top of the second round too. So. The only other team that's tied with the Texans right now, record-wise, is the Bucks, and they because of strength of schedule, they're actually behind the Texans right now. But that could change as the season plays out. By um, by behind, you mean like they they have the eighth pick. They have the eighth right. pick, whereas okay, the, Texans the Texans are currently, are currently slotted. slotted at the seven. Yep, that's right. Thank you. But behind, so there remaining ahead is confusing when you're talking about like a race to the bottom. Yep, the. So of their remaining schedule, though, three of their four games are all at home. The Bucks have not been good, and they play some tough teams, but at least they get them all three at three of these games at home. They play the Lions at home, the Falcons at home, then they go to Carolina to play the Panthers, and then they finish the season with the Saints at home. We were talking about this before we came on. This is a tough slate. Of all of these teams that are left here, I— we need the t- the Bucks to win a game here so that the they're not picking in front of the Texans, and it's hard to look at the Lions, Falcons, Panthers, and Saints as games that the Bucks can win right now. Um, I have to just hope that they can win one or two of those, um, but that will remain to be seen. So that's the thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, I don't see the Bucks winning any of these. Um, if they, I was a betting man. I'd maybe say they win one. They'll probably pull out one of those. They have enough talent that they could. Jameis is back. Like, I think that they're going to – I mean, just think about the playmakers that they have on offense. They Anything could happen for them on any given week. I get that they haven't been playing well. They haven't been coached well. But three games at home of those four, they could do it. Look, The best I... chance is probably the Lions this week, to be honest, because the rest of the teams have something to play for. Yeah, I, th- I think we have to count on them not winning many 
the rest of the way. I mean, if the Houston pick is going to fall further, I think it's going to be because teams below Houston win, win, especially the games head-to-head against Houston, not um, Tampa Bay kind of winning a few games and staying ahead. Yep. So then that brings us to the teams that are currently picking in front of the Texans based on current records, and that is the Chicago Bears, Indianapolis Colts, and the Denver Broncos, who are all currently sitting at 3-9. and nine. Um, So we want these teams to win some games. And hey, I'm thought, not... Hold on, time out. I thought we were supposed to bring in Peyton Manning because it worked in Denver for John Elway. How, how come uh, Denver's 3-9? and nine? Denver... Denver doesn't have a quarterback, kind of like the Browns. They, uh, it's hard to win football games when you have crappy quarterback play. I think it's as simple as that. It is very, very hard to win with a terrible quarterback. 3-9 and nine for Denver, a talented team that everyone thought was uh, going to be contending for the playoffs. I, that does make me feel better as a Browns team that also doesn't have a quarterback and isn't winning games, I just got to say. So as we look at these teams, wins are probably going to be hard to come by. Looking at Chicago, they go to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. They are at home for the Lions and then the Browns. That second-to-last game of our season is against the Bears. And um, that's going to be an interesting one. It's going to have an effect on the draft outcome. Like, that's going to be our silver lining if we can't win that game is it's probably going to help the Browns' draft position if the Texans continue to lose. So that'll be an interesting one to play out as the season goes along. And then they finish the season um, at Minnesota. There's no way they win that game. So I guess they could pull one off against the Bengals this week, but they're playing at Cincinnati. And then obviously their chances against the Browns are decent. Um, so there's a chance that the Texans could jump ahead of the Bears in draft order, but I probably wouldn't put it as likely. The Bears could win two of these games. Um, probably not likely. I think they'll win one. That game in week 16 is going to be tough for me to watch because it, it's realistic that it, it might be so much better for the Browns if we lose, but we also might be winless and just need that it's, win. Yep. It's going to be so contingent on whether Houston wins. Like if Houston wins a game before then, it won't matter as much right. because it's not going to have that direct impact. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Well, I'm going to cheer for the Browns to win no matter what. I think uh, one draft position is not going to matter that matter. much. Yeah. When, especially when it's your second pick. Like if it was the first pick and it would affect like if you could get that quarterback or not, that seems to matter a lot more. So that brings us to the Colts. They go to the Bills. They play at home against the Broncos, which is obviously a huge game that's going to swing this whole thing. They go um, to the Ravens, and then they play their final game at home against the Texans, which we already talked about. So there's two huge games there, the Broncos um, in week 15 and then the Texans in week 17. So those are going to swing the whole thing. Obviously, the Colts can win both of those games. They could beat the Broncos. They could beat the Texans in week 17. And who knows? I mean, they could beat the Ravens in week 16. Ravens are definitely playing better than they were. I think Woodhead being back is helping their offense a lot. Um but they haven't proven to be a consistent team over the course of the season. It's so f- crazy to me that the Ravens are in a playoff spot at the moment. They are. They are. They're the worst playoff bound team that is currently um, would currently be in the postseason. It baffles me. 
Which brings us to the final is the Broncos. They play the Jets. They go to the Colts. They go to the Redskins. And they finish the season at home against the Chiefs. The games for them, there's games for them to win there. I mean, the Jets, that's a winnable game this week. They go to the Colts. Any team could win. Either one of those teams, as we mentioned, could win that game. All four of those games, they could win. Like, yeah. winnable. They're not going to win all four of them, but. So I would say, don't you, wouldn't you say it's likely that Denver ends up on the other side of the Texans at the end of the day? I think of the remaining teams, Denver is probably, if I had to bet on a team, that that's who I would take. Um, the other one would be Indy because of their schedule and how many head-to-heads they have with those teams. Yep. Because um, they play Houston still and they play um, – Denver still and whatnot and so but and so there's there's two teams we didn't mention here because it seems like a, a long shot the two two win teams in the league right now are the San Francisco 49ers and the uh, New York Giants who no longer have a coach or a uh, front office leader hilarious so to great. me how bad did Eli get effed in this situation so he lost, he so, lost his so consecutive Reese, start streak just because Ben McAdoo is a doofus, an idiot. They fire them because of it because the ownership sides with the the quarterback that's one M two Super Bowl. Could they Bowls, not have done that on Friday? And then he loses the streak. Like, like if this is a fireable offense, do it on Friday, or or at um, least or at least strong arm the the coach to start Eli. Yeah, like right? you could have kept it intact. Like yeah. you're you're gonna fire him anyway. Like you might as well like give him a directive and tell him to start Eli and then still fire him on Monday and like no harm, no foul. He's still a doofus and shouldn't be a head coach. That's bad. But I mean, so there's a dream scenario where both either the 49ers or the Giants go on a winning streak at the end of this season and win three of their last four games and would jump over the Texans in draft order. Um, or behind the Texans in draft order, however the heck you want to talk about it. Of those options, I think it's the 49ers because they actually have quarterback play now. Jimmy Garoppolo looks okay. He maybe didn't lead them any touchdowns, but five field goals won a game for him. So they're playing the Texans. We talked about how huge that game is. And then they get the Titans, the Jags, and the Rams. I don't think they win three of those games, but there's a dream scenario. So what do we think we're looking at here for – the final outcome of the yeah that's what i that's what i was gonna ask what if you had to guess today what do you think our two first round picks where they fall i don't think it's gonna move too far from here i'm pretty sure we're gonna be in the top 10 with that texans pick there's no doubt in my mind that the browns are gonna be number one there's no doubt in my mind that the browns are gonna be number one um, so that's a given to me. And it's, it's all about this Texans pick that we're contemplating. I think they're going to win another game. I hope they don't, but I think they're going to, they've been close enough in these games in recent weeks that I think they're going to be able to pull one out and their defense is playing pretty decent. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know. I think it's going to be around seven, but I can pretty easily paint a picture where it's up to five, even four, where you think about Denver and Indy, winning some games and then four, j- jumping four up would be incredible if, if it comes to week 17 and there's like a, a game that i need to watch of 
Houston playing some team and like they need to lose, I will watch that game over the Browns game. <laughs> I think I probably will too. It's going to be so much more important. Yeah. Because think about this. Think about this draft, right? This draft has kind of like every, the narrative about quarterbacks has kind of gone up and down. Like it started like it was this huge quarterback rich class. And then in the middle of the season, it was like, oh, it's kind of down. And now it seems like everybody's a lot more optimistic about the quarterbacks that are in this class. There's going to be quarterbacks going high in this draft. It's not going to be a scenario where we don't know where the quarterbacks are going. And we don't even There's have to gonna give be... up anything to get the person we want. Yeah, we're going to get our first pick of whichever one we want in all likelihood. And then there's going to be other ones. So just think about if we have the fourth or fifth pick. Like there's going to be quarterbacks taken in those two and three and four slots. So let's just say we're picking fifth. Like we're going to have a pick of the top one or two position players like Aminka Fitzpatrick or another pass rusher. We could take the kid from NC State just because. Like, I mean, we're going to have those kind of options. Um, Which is amazing. And you also might have the option to trade back with a team that wants a quarterback if they're still on the board and keep this gravy train of two first-round picks every year rolling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But if the Minka Fitzpatrick or whoever you really want as the Cleveland Browns front office is there. That would be the freaking dream, wouldn't it? Like the top quarterback and Minka Fitzpatrick as the free safety and then just – Unreal. Take, take a, running, Unreal. a running back and two cornerbacks with the second round picks, and you're just rolling. It's my absolute dream. It's my absolute dream. Brugler tweeted back at us the other day, or maybe me on my personal, I can't remember, that this the corner class is as deep as it's been in a really long time, and there's going to be really good corners available on day two. We should take I'm con- two, two second round corners. <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe. Like, I think I – think, if I could play it by position, looking at our our picks, where I stand right now, it'd be quarterback, safety, corner, running back. Yes. And then linebacker? And then we're going to have Philly's pick in the second round, which is going to be way at the end. It's going to be basically a third-round pick. Like. And then we're going to get to pick again at the very beginning of this third round. I know. It's great. <laughs> um. But anyways, I mean, those are, to me, are the very clear four needs that we have. And I'm sure that we're going to address at least one of those in free agency in some way, shape, or form. But I don't think it'll affect our need and what positions we'll go after in the draft. I think we'll still attack those positions in the draft. Yeah, and then we also have Howard Wilson just sitting back, like, on the pup list. Like, I know he's a fourth-round pick, so you can't bank on his depth. I mean, being, he's depth being whatever, yeah. but like that's another decent piece that's on our roster that we haven't been able to see what's there. Um, yeah, for depth, because honestly, I don't think I can name a cornerback on our roster outside of our top three corners. Uh, yeah, you can. You know who our fourth one is? He came in for a play whenever McCourty got hurt this week. Got a very recognizable name. All right, so we're, we got Jason McCourty, Jamar Taylor, Brian Body Calhoun. And Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. MJ. Yeah, and Darius Hillary's bounced around. He's been on our roster. I can't I couldn't tell you if he's on the active roster, has been in recent weeks or not, but he's at least been on a practice squad and bounced on and off in recent weeks. It's kind of shocking to me. Normally teams carry five cornerbacks pretty consistently. And I don't 
feel like we've done that. And if we've done that, those guys just haven't seen the field. We like to complain about how bad the Browns luck is. And it's true. Like some of our top players have gotten hurt on defense, but if we had had cornerback injuries on the season, we would have been effed because like our corner depth has been terrible. I mean, yeah. mostly because we traded Joe Hayden at the beginning of the year, but like, if we, we had lost like McCordy or Taylor for the him. season, we didn't trade him. We we just cut him. But oh, thank you. Yeah, I. I like to think missed, that we traded him, but I miss Joe. I know. So, um, but no, anyways, no, you're right. Like our corner depth has been is terrible, and we haven't had any injuries there. Like McCordy, McCordy got hurt was out in this game for, for like a minute, yeah. and he came back in. Like it's he did it's miss a miracle almost. He missed I think two games or at least one and a half games earlier in the year, but that was like a short term deal. Um, that could have been devastating. Yeah, because I don't I don't think anyone would argue um, that our corners are like lighting up the league, but they're at least competent like NFL players at this point, and the people that we would replace them with would would not be that. All right. So that's that. Let's hope for all these teams to uh, just play exactly how we need them to so the Browns can have the fourth pick in the draft. I mean, how beautiful would it be if the first three picks are quarterback, 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 and then we just pick whoever the heck we want? It would be amazing. It would be amazing. I, I will say that I have very much enjoyed, especially these last like four or five weeks, um, keeping an eye on the Texans game. and, and Oh, it's Texans a fun. List. It's when the Browns never win – a Texans loss feels like a win and like just something oh, that does. I can be excited about on a Sunday afternoon. It does. Absolutely. It eases the pain. Yeah. Thank you, Tom Savage. Uh, most valuable player on the Browns for the Browns. Um, brings us to the podcast sec or the podcast pick section of our weekly show. There's a big swing. Mark and his coin did not fare too well. Uh, lost all three picks. Matthew won all three picks, roaring back into the picture. What? And uh, I won two of three. So Mark and I are tied in the lead, and Matthew's behind by two games. So this is uh, uh, this is close. We're turning this into an actual competition as the season finishes out. Let's go. So to remind everyone, or maybe some new listeners, we pick three games each week. The Thursday night game, the Sunday night game, and the Browns game. Uh, relative to the lines and i will like to make a note that for just the second time this year i picked the browns game correctly um there have been 13 games and only two of them have i picked them correctly relative to the line um it feels good another minor victory just like the texans win if i actually pick it it feels feels right um so the first game Thursday is New Orleans at Atlanta, and Atlanta is favored by one and a half. Matthew, what do you have to say? This will be a fun Thursday night game to watch. That's what I, I have agree. to say. Um, <clears throat> these NFC South teams have been kind of a surprise. I think people thought Atlanta was going to be good, and then the rest of the division would be kind of crap. Um, yep. New or- Atlanta minus one and a half. I've got to take New Orleans here. New Orleans defense, the reason New Orleans is as good as they are, their offense is exactly the same as it's always been. Alvin Kamara um, has been a nice addition, but they've always kind of had that type of player. Their defense for the first time in probably a decade is like 
an it's asset. not a joke. It's an asset. It's not a for joke. Them. Yeah, they're yeah. playing really, really, really well. When their defense is playing well, New Orleans is a really tough, scary team. I'm take New Orleans minus the points. All right. Plus the um. So I. I just keep seeing this Falcons team like doing this ping pong deal where one week they look terrible, the next week they look great. They were pretty terrible this last week, and so I'm going to pick that they're going to continue the trend and bounce back. It's at home, which always helps me pick a team. This is close. I couldn't decide, so I'm picking the home team and hoping Atlanta bounces back. They'll have Freeman back. Um, I've got the Falcons. All right, and since Mark's not here, but he doesn't make his decisions anyway, we're going to make them for him with the coin. All right. All right. Mark's taking the home team. Mark's going to take the Atlanta Falcons. All right. And that brings us to Sunday night. Baltimore heading to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's favored by seven points. Um, Let's make the coins pick first here. All right. I love the fact that I can basically just flip a coin and say whatever I want because nobody can prove me wrong. (laughs) All right. So Mark is actually going to take Baltimore in this game. Uh, oh, good. It's a sure loss. <laughs> certainly. So Mark likes Baltimore <laughs> plus the points. Uh, that's hilarious. So I kind of just revealed my pick there. I I don't like this Baltimore team. I do think they've looked a little better in recent weeks, but Pittsburgh has to be able to beat them. Pittsburgh's defense is pretty stout. They're better than they've looked in a long time, as we've profiled throughout the whole year. And um, seven points, home game. Everyone knows Pittsburgh plays better at home. I've got the Steelers all day long. Yeah, i got to go with you, too. I think the Steelers are, are a much better team, especially um, the Baltimore defense just lost Jimmy Smith to a simultaneous Achilles tear and four-game suspension for PEDs. So that's, oh. that's kind of brut- a really bad week for Jimmy Smith. Um, double whammy double whammy fortunately since he's still active he can serve his suspension while he's injured because so he's nice. just gonna get his suspension out of the way while he wasn't playing anyway so um but i gotta take pittsburgh here i, I don't believe in baltimore one bit no so that leads us to the browns game um it's gonna be a battle of attrition between the green bay packers led by brent hunley heading to cleveland to play the browns and the Packers are favored by three and a half points. Can anyone tell me what the Packers actually do well? They kick field goals pretty good. Mason Crosby. Yep, Mason, pretty Mason solid. Crosby. Yes, he does do that. Um, ding, ding, ding. It's kind of this is just going to be an interesting game. It's like who cares more? Who gets coached up better? Like I don't feel that good about Mike McCarthy. Um, as a coach and preparing the team, like I'm not scared of the Packers in any way. This is like is as winnable of a game as we've had on our schedule all year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that all being said, I have very little faith that the Browns will show up and actually like do what it takes to win the game. Nothing has been falling our way. I have a negative attitude towards what is happening on the field, and I cannot bring myself to actually pick the Browns to cover three and a half points so i'm gonna go with the packers all right we're gonna choose mark's pick here first can you keep that thing on the table please no it's a very tiny table and i'm not used to this um mark is taking the away team which would be the packers so mark agrees 
um, with Michael in this regard. I, on the other hand, the Browns got really fortunate here. This is the last week that Aaron Rodgers is going to be sitting out. He started practicing. He's eligible to come back um, in week 15. So we're... That's because they know they can beat us without him. No, he, he just can't come off the IR yet. Um, <laughs> but the Packers are not good. Like, as you said, they're not good at anything in particular. They have Aaron Rodgers. Um, this is the most winnable game that the Browns have had probably since that Colts game earlier in the year. Was that week three, week four? Um, we crapped bed entirely. Browns are at home, have got to be looking at this game, thinking this is a game that they can win. I, I've got to take the Browns. I think this is the chance. If we're going to win a game – the rest of the year, this is it at home against a terrible offensive team with no good defense. I'm going to take the Browns. Matthew, I hope you're right. Me too. I hope you're right. I don't even know what I'm going to do if the Browns win. Like I had last time the Browns won, it was over Christmas last year when I was home and we all like hugged each other and danced for like 10 whole minutes. It was a Christmas miracle. It was. Unbelievable. Um, I don't. I just don't even know what I'm going to do with myself. I mean, like, imagine if both the Browns win and the 49ers beat the Texans on Sunday. Like, it, we're going to have to go play the lottery. Yeah. All right. If if that happens, Mark's doing the pod naked next week. Yes. Absolutely. Mark he, it down. He agreed to it. He agreed to it. <laughs> Although that really doesn't mean nobody sees him. Yeah. No, it's perfect. We would just be laughing a lot more because yeah, be we great. would see him. It's perfect. All right. All right, everybody. So Let's hope for a Browns win and a 49ers win over the Texans. If so, we uh, will all get a Naked Mark podcasting for the world yeah. next week. We'll, we'll tweet out a photo that is G-rated but should offer proof that he's at least close to that. So. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that went okay. Here with only two people on the pod. We don't need a host. Nah. We can streamline streamline our operation. All right, well. Yeah. Cut off the fat. He is getting kind of fat. <laughs> Just like me. I know. You, you and him are cut from the same cloth. I yes. don't seem to have that problem. All right, that'll be it for this week's episode. Um, as always, thanks for listening. Um, if you feel like it, give us a review on iTunes. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Um, feel free to contact us on our Twitter account at sin of our fathers or send us an email at sin of our fathers at gmail.com. Michael, anything else? Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.